Hello, and welcome once again to Yester Ladies. I'm Dana. And I'm Heather. And Heather, what are we talking about today? Well, Dana, today we are talking about Sojourner Truth. That's right. Sojourner Truth. And we have to make sure people understand this is two words we are saying, because I had one person today who asked what we were recording, and I said, Sojourner Truth. And she was like, what's that? (laughs) So it's Sojourner Truth. 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 And this is a woman. Yes. (laughs) Not an object. No. (laughs) And that's a great intro into who she was. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So Sojourner Truth was uh, a woman born into slavery in 1797 in Ulster County, New York. So she was an American-born slave. And originally, she was named Isabella. So her parents were James and Betsy, and they were owned by a man named Colonel Johannes Hardenberg. Well, that's quite a name. There you go. (laughs) And uh, so she grew up um, as a possession of this colonel's, um, spoke only low German, which I think his family likely spoke. um, And she was never educated, so she never learned to read or write, even later in life um, when when she... had a lot of freedoms and traveled quite a bit. Um, so she grew up in this family um, as a part of slavery and um, working very hard in the fields and in the house um, and married quite young. Uh, she married in 1815 uh, to Thomas, a who was uh, also a slave, and they had five children, uh, the last of whom is thought died in infancy. Uh, I think they, don't, they didn't find many records of that baby after well and later on i believe she refers to the fact that um she has she had born 13 children right so not all of them obviously survived correct and i just wanted to go back and point out that um when she was nine years old she was sold away from her family yes um and sold several times before she kind of ultimately ended up on particular farm which i imagine you've probably got some information about as i do too Mm. um but i think that was probably before no was she married my research didn't cover this was she married before or after she escaped i have 1815 that she was married and then i have that she walked to slavery in 1826 and she was carrying one of her children right that's when she walked to slavery so i believe she would have been married before that Mm. yes and i have an interesting point about the 13 versus 5 children Mm. um the 13 children was mentioned in a version of her speech that we'll get into later Mm -hmm. that was recorded by um, a listener and a whole bunch of versions of that speech which is her most famous um were recorded by different people and so the versions vary Mm -hmm. and the 13 children weren't mentioned in the first recorded version of the speech so they're not sure if that got added in later or someone remembered it later or or what happened so it's kind of up in the air so we're going to say she had between five five and 13 children (laughs) it's a pretty big uh (laughs) yeah (laughs) yes Oh boy. <laughs> so yes, I have down here that she was sold um, at least four times um, and then decided to take things into her own hands or her own feet and <laughs> walked to slavery, um, which I believe was within the state of New York because yeah. she ended up living in New York City. So, well, yeah. Um, so this kind of the last place that she lived was uh, as a slave mm-hmm. um, was the farm of John and Sally Dumont. And at a certain point, having been sold around to different places, um, in one of these homes, I'm not sure if it was at the Dumont farm or, or where, as you said, she had only spoken low German and uh, one of the families she was sold to, they only spoke English and they basically 
beat it out of her. They, hmm. you know, refused to let her speak low German. And um, sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at that. We're, if you hear any <laughs> any little um, infant-like noises, that's because Heather's little yester lady, Sarah, is, is with us today. She's joining us for she her recording is. session. Yes, and she's interjecting occasionally. <laughs> so bear with us if you hear <laughs> if you hear some little coos and things. Um, so, right, so Isabella... Um, at the Dumont farm is where she eventually ended up. And as one of the sources that we were looking at pointed out, she was, I mean, this was upstate New York. She was a Northern slave. And as opposed to many of the Southern plantations where there were, you know, many, many slaves, Northern slaves often were pretty isolated from each other and from other African-Americans. And so she would have been probably uh, like, the only servant on this maybe smaller farm um so i feel like and i don't know like what's worse like you're Mm. you're more isolated from your people you have no one even to share this with like it's yes yeah um so at the dumont farm um unfortunately of course this is pretty common um in the history of slavery she was physically and sexually abused and there's evidence in particular that um the wife sally sexually abused her Mm. um and at a certain point she later wrote of this time in her life now the war begun and for her it was a war both with her masters and with herself and kind of one of the the major themes of of her the major theme in a lot of ways of her life was her faith. Mm -hmm. And she really, she drew on uh, her relationship with God and and her faith as, as what kind of inspired her to escape in the first place, who that gave her the strength not to kind of go back. So um, Isabella's faith, um, as I say, gave her the strength to, um, decide to escape slavery. Um, and kind of one of the ways her faith would manifest is she liked to, um, go out into the woods by herself and talk to God and, um, kind of, you know, even though she was separated and couldn't really go to church and, you know, didn't have people around her, she could worship with, she kind of would create little kind of shrines or whatever out by herself in the woods, which is, uh, which is just so cool. So she really, I mean, like, her faith was such a huge element of where she drew her strength from. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's woven through a lot of the accounts of her that we read. Um, you see how important her faith was. Mm-hmm. So, um, all right. So I'm going to pick up for when she decided to leave. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she, as we mentioned, she walked to slavery. In, walked away walked from away, slavery. Yes, <laughs> walked away from. That's true. Yes. Walked out of slavery mm-hmm. in 1826. And she was carrying her infant daughter, Sophia, with her when she went. So she basically walked both of them out of slavery. Mm. And they ended up taking shelter with an abolition family who uh, took the two of them in and they ended up uh, raising money to pay for her freedom so it cost them twenty dollars to purchase her freedom um and she was also interested in getting her other children back of course um and they had some of them had been sold away um and so they ended up um bringing forward a lawsuit um and suing because her son peter was five years old and he had been illegally sold Mm. um and i believe sold further south which was always uh, a bad thing yes so um and they ended up winning the lawsuit and this is uh, really amazing really amazing that an illiterate ex-slave could bring a suit and win it and i mean obviously she had some support and and people to help her through the process but um that kind of 
began a trend for for Sojourner, um, and she brought two other successful lawsuits during her lifetime. Uh, so that was really neat. Um, yeah. And I think this also kind of triggered uh, later in my notes. I have I talk about how she really learned to kind of manipulate the existing power structures and mm. um, and institutions to create the reforms that she was working towards. And I think this kind of was her first taste of working within the system to to achieve her means. Yeah. So I thought that was really kind of cool that's it's kind of like a watershed obviously yeah <laughs> you know getting into freedom is a watershed in her life but but um kind of uh, discovering her own agency as well um all right so she ended up settling in new york city and lived there until 1843 mm. um, and this is where she really kind of got involved in the religious revivals mm-hmm. at the time yeah um sorry i just want to interject because yeah, no, one of my absolutely. favorite little uh tidbits here is that um she she became a perfectionist preacher and i guess um perfectionism or a perfectionist um spiritual bent i guess was just another word for pentecostal at hmm. the time which i thought that was really interesting <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah so she became big in uh the pentecostal circuit and um kind of through that as i you know we'll get into she came to know abolitionists and um crusaders in the women's rights movement absolutely and she had a big spiritual awakening um mm. in this whole milieu this religious um uh revival and uh decided to change her name from isabella to sojourner truth which is just i have to say mm-hmm. the coolest name right <laughs> like yes i love it so much it's yes. so poetic and so meaningful and so just so cool. And I think it's so neat that she chose her own name. Yeah. Right? Like kind of like reclaiming, reclaiming yourself and, mm-hmm. and naming yourself. And, and oh, it's really neat. And then I was thinking about what would I name myself if I <laughs> choose a name? And, you know, you get off on all these philosophical <laughs> wonderings. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, a very powerful way to sort of literally own herself. And her yeah. Name. So yeah. Yeah, that's true. What yeah. a good way to put it. Ha ha. That's why we're <laughs> podcasters. Ha <laughs> <laughs> and, ha. Uh, and she also announced uh, that she would travel the land as an itinerant preacher speaking the truth and working against injustice so Mm. she had a mission um so she traveled all around the eastern seaboard um and into the midwest um speaking um you know attending events and rallies and religious events um and sort of getting the word out for the many many uh, causes that she was involved in um she also so she's traveling but she's also putting down roots so she lived in massachusetts for a while she purchased a home there yeah but um oh am i missing things well there's just one little uh tidbit that i found um somewhere that at a certain point in um 1833 1834 right around there i guess um so obviously uh sojourner truth her um her spiritual um leanings were very strong and she was you know very much kind of she felt a connection to God. And so she kind of fell under the spell, unfortunately, of this prophet Matthias. Um, did you have anything about no, this? No, not at all. Very interesting. So this prophet Matthias, basically he had a cult. Oh boy. And um, she kind of ended up living with this cult for a year or so. And um, unfortunately, it was kind of another abusive situation mm-hmm. uh, because this guy often beat her and it's such an interesting pattern kind of that she was um as the one source points out she kind of yearned for structure and for family and as i mean it's kind of you know it's like the cycle of abuse right Right. you know people that kind of you end up getting drawn back into abusive situations so she was kind of drawn into this you know her spiritual 
leanings kind mm-hmm. of led her into this, but uh, eventually she she realized, you know, the the that this was not a good situation for her and that mm. she could do better than this and and moved on from that and took her faith in in a more independent uh direction but uh, kind of another interesting little aside in her life hmm. that's really neat yeah she seems so i don't know so active like yeah, she decides a that a situation life. is not what she likes and just like Moves gets on. herself out of it yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes yeah that's neat yeah, awesome. absolutely. All right. Uh, so I mentioned that she lived in Massachusetts for a while, um, purchased a home, which I was, again, very, very impressed cool. with yeah. at, at this point. Um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming she's um, maybe not single at this point, but that her husband is not with her. So mm-hmm. she's purchasing it by herself. Um, and she lived in Ohio. Um, and um, she became quite a powerful force in all of these social movements, which uh, we'll get into now. So obviously abolition, that would be the, the sort of clear um, um, movement for her to join. Um, but she was interested in women's rights, uh, women's suffrage, um, the rights of freedmen. So mm-hmm, even after slavery, um, what rights these people had, mm-hmm. um, the temperance movement, prison reform, and she was against capital punishment. So she's part mm-hmm. of that group as well. So it's, it she's seems, busy. yes, she, <laughs> she had a lot on her plate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so Participating in all of these movements, she met a lot of the leading reformers of the day. Uh, some of the big names that I saw were Susan B. Anthony and Harriet Beecher Stowe, mm-hmm. uh, Frederick Douglass. Stanton, Frederick Douglass, as you say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So names that you might recognize if you've mm-hmm. looked into um, topics like this before, um, she was right up there with them. So she was yeah. rubbing shoulders with. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And as uh, a lot of other um, former slaves did around that time period, um, at a certain point, she decided to uh, tell her own narrative, uh, which was published in 1850 as the narration, the na- sorry, the narrative of Sojourner Truth, and she dictated it, and it was published, and um, I believe was pretty successful as as all of those publications tended to be, and um, it, I think that added to her popularity as a speaker and um, being sought after, and her travel increased after that period even more than than it had already been um and then as far as it's interesting like there's there's a little bit about kind of her relationships with some of these well-known um people in in abolition and women's Mm. rights movements and um i guess she didn't always rub people the right way or sometimes they had a tendency to look down on her because she was this illiterate Mm -hmm. uh former slave woman which i think you know had a lot to do with it. Uh, so Frederick Douglass even, you know, <laughs> I, I guess was a little bit patronizing of her and he saw her as uncultured. Um, and, but then, you know, she would kind of turn that around on him. She was obviously a very, very smart, well-spoken mm-hmm. woman. And she kind of used her plain speaking. That was her kind of style was a, a plain spoken method and she used that to kind of challenge him and uh i guess at one at an 1852 meeting in ohio he spoke of the need for blacks to seize freedom by force and when he sat down truth asked is god gone (laughs) and um her her just her her clinging to faith as as a way to combat slavery and oppression as opposed to violence so the idea of of peace through 
you know, or, um, um, change through peace and movement and faith and prayer and all of these things, as opposed to a violent, uh, tendency was, was something she really believed in. And she stood up for that Mm -hmm. against pretty powerful forces like Douglas. And then, um, I also enjoyed the, um, I mean, she was, she was in some ways close with, uh, Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, but, um, she, and she disagreed with them on a lot of issues, very valid reasons. Um, kind of one of the most notable falling out issues that they had was, uh, Stanton said that she wouldn't support, um, the black vote if women were denied the Mm. vote as well. Whereas I think Sojourner Truth as, as, as a African-American and a woman saw like the, everybody, you know, no, we need, we need to fight for both. And Mm -hmm. so they kind of had a falling out that way. And I guess as time went on, um, Sojourner Truth kind of distanced herself from, Mm. uh, the kind of increasingly racist language of the women's suffrage movement, which, Mm. Um, is something that I think, you know, a lot of us have read about and it's kind of one of those, like you're, you don't know how to feel about the women's suffrage movement, right? Like obviously it was very important and accomplished a lot and it was a major force for good in a lot of ways in our history, but it had some major flaws as well. And and that is probably one of the biggest is that it it did not, uh, those leaders and those women didn't always do what they should have in, in recognizing and validating um, black mm-hmm. voices, particularly black women, obviously. Right. Right. I remember reading and learning about how they were classist, but mm-hmm. also could be quite racist. Yeah. So, for yeah. Sure. It was, yeah. Which is conflicted. Very ironic. And, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yes, I <Yeah>. agree. <laughs> so it's a conflicted history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so besides her narrative, um, Sojourner lived off of the uh, sale of portraits. So she had portraits of herself. And the caption was, quote, I sell the shadow to support the substance. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah. So it was, I, it made me think almost of... Um, like on a tour, like a band on a tour or a speaker on a tour, right? Yeah. Selling like autographed portraits of themselves <laughs> at like yeah. a merchandise table. Yeah, yeah. So, so you could see her speak and then you could get the caption. Or the get Sojourner the, Truth yes. t-shirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. I would wear that. <laughs> oh yeah, I would too. Okay. Well, we need to like put up some t-shirts and Sojourner Truth t-shirts. <laughs> yes. With the Yes Her Ladies logo. Absolutely. Back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yep. So she sold these portraits and um, had proceeds from her biography. So that's mm-hmm. She kind of had an income coming in while she was doing all these and, and probably speaker fees if she was invited to, or maybe, I don't know. That's maybe a good not, question. Did they have speaker fees? At I, these I'm thinking maybe not speaker fees, but you know, maybe some kind of offer. Yeah. What's that called? Um, um somebody gives you a, an honorarium. Yeah. Yeah. Is. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they would provide an accommodation. That yeah. Kind of thing. They yeah. would give something. I would hope, I would hope so. so. Yeah. I mean, she wouldn't, I don't think she would be able to have traveled as extensively if there wasn't some kind of yeah. compensation. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so interestingly, I love this fact that her grandson, Sammy Banks, mm-hmm. uh, accompanied her on her lecture tours mm-hmm. and he could read and write. And so he was her companion um, through all of this and basically took care of tasks that she couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but unfortunately, he died at 24. So he died Aww. in 1875. It was not nearly as long lasting a relationship as it sounds like it could have been. So mm-hmm. that's quite unfortunate. That's very sad. Yeah, poor Sammy Banks. 
Um, so she moved even closer to us here in Ontario. Uh, she ended up moving in 1857 to Michigan mm. um, and bought a home in an area called Harmonia. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, which I thought was great. <laughs> um, and then visited the town of Battle Creek um, the year before she was invited to address a radical Quaker group oh. called the Friends of Human Progress. <laughs> it sounds really great. And I really wish I could go meet those <laughs> Friends of Human Progress. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I like they're radical Quakers. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a great combination of ideas. <laughs> radical Quakers. I love it. Yeah. Um, now, I believe uh, Battle Creek is where the the monument is to her, Correct. right? Yes. And she lived sculpture. out... Sorry, I interrupted. She lived out the rest of her life in Battle Creek. Mm -hmm. um, and we got a lot of information on her from historical websites from the town and, and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, so, yes, she spent the rest of her life there and, mm -hmm. and was buried there. And, and there is a, a very large statue commemorating her and her life uh, in Battle Creek. And yes. it, uh, I have not been there personally. I don't think you have either, Heather. But <laughs> nope. uh, I would definitely, that's one of the places I would now like to visit. Yeah, I feel yes. like doing this podcast, we keep, I need to make a list of like places that I'm like, oh, I need yes. to visit there. I need to visit yes. there. Like, <laughs> when I was reading this research, I thought, ah, oh, yester lady's road trip. Yeah. <laughs> you and I can oh head God. to Battle Creek. And oh, I like that idea very much. Visit Sojourner and yeah. say hi. Take a few like select listeners <laughs> yes. with us. Oh, that would be nice. They're like, they know who they are. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I've got a couple of people in mind. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously the, the, her visit went well because she ended up moving from Harmonia to Battle Creek um, 10 years later. And uh, I thought this was great. She converted a barn on awesome. College Street. Oh, you would love that. Yes. And <laughs> lived there with two of her daughters um, and ended up living there until her death. So that mm -hmm. became her permanent home. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a little um, excursion she took, <laughs> excursion, um, in the 1860s. So this is Civil War era. Um, there was a huge influx of thousands of ex-slaves into the Washington area. So mm -hmm. Abraham Lincoln had basically put out an invitation that if you can make it or um and there was also um legislation passed that all the slaves in the area in in um the district of columbia were then freed so all of a sudden there's freed slaves there and more showing up all the time so thousands of these ex-slaves are pouring into the area but there's no housing for them very mm -hmm. little food and no jobs so, so refugees basically it was absolutely that and they set up what is basically and i was thinking that too a refugee camp um in what is now the land of the arlington national cemetery mm. um it was originally called the freedman's village huh. uh, and i looked this up to get a little history on it uh, and it was really interesting so it was um about 50 houses and almost like a little village set up um but it was under military guard um hmm. so it, it was not very free yeah <laughs> yeah um but they had like a like a senior's home and they had a couple schools and they had an industrial school to teach trades and it was very much about retraining slaves for mm -hmm. independent life and mm -hmm. you could only stay so long and then you'd have to leave because more people were always coming in but because the numbers of, of people arriving soon outstripped their resources, um, the conditions kept degrading inside mm. um, the Freedman, Freedman's village. So Sojourner had heard about this, obviously, and wanted to help and went down. Um, I'm not sure exactly how long she stayed, but I know she was there for, for a, a bit of time um, and was basically working to improve conditions inside the camp and, uh, and help people find permanent homes. Um, and she... Um, uh, she was helping advocate for the parents who, this is awful, um, people were coming uh, outsiders were coming to the camp and stealing children. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, which was horrible. I don't know if it was former owners stealing back children that they felt were still their property or people just 
kidnapping kids to kidnap kids. Yeah, it was awful. So the parents of these children were obviously horrified and tried to protest and were being locked up for protesting the kidnapping of their kids. So Sojourner, um, as part of her work there, um, encouraged them to keep protesting. And I think was sort of inciting more, Mm. more um, energetic uh, protests. And so the, the camp commanders threatened her and said, we'll lock you up if you don't stop this rabble rousing. And she said uh, that if they did that, and I quote, she would make this nation rock like a cradle. <laughs> that was awesome. Like, yeah. <laughs> so that is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she wasn't, uh, she wasn't playing around. She was not playing around. No. She did not bow to threats at all. No, so yeah, she's a formidable woman for <laughs> yes, sure. Yes. And um, so she, she was helping these people. And then also active in relocating former slaves. She was moving people west, um, especially to states like Kansas, um, and lobbying for free land when they mm-hmm. arrived yep. and for um, the government to cover their transportation costs. Um, apparently, she carried around petitions with her and was basically getting people to sign them everywhere she went. <laughs> um, I guess the one petition, the main petition she carried around didn't end up affecting any change but uh you know still she was spreading her message she was doing everything she possibly could yes yes absolutely Um, so as we've kind of mentioned she was obviously she had her fingers in a lot of different pies she Mm -hmm. was just highly active in activism (laughs) and um as you can imagine she certainly had a lot of things to think and say about the civil war when (laughs) that began uh one of the things that she agitated for was inclusion of uh, blacks in the union army Mm -hmm. and um partly thanks to her agitation that did end up happening and then after that during the war she volunteered and would bring them uh clothes and food (laughs) um and just did her bit for the war of course because of course she would. Yeah, she, like, naturally. Yeah, there's a cause to be supported. She's very. Like um, she was there. Yeah, the descriptions of her carrying food and clothing into the the Civil War camps it totally reminded me of Mary Seacole, like on the battlefield. Absolutely. Saying, <laughs> yes, these yes. women are just so impressive, <laughs> so much more impressive than me. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I feel like those battlefields were so much more dangerous as well. <laughs> like, yeah, <it's> so risky. <laughs> so not scary. that the battlefields of today certainly are not. Are not. No. But no, it's just, I don't know, not. you have that image of these, like, just muddy, horrible. Yes. I mean, especially the Civil War, war right? And yeah. You, the first ugh, war where you're seeing images like that and just, just the horror of it. And Anyway. Yes. Yeah. We digress. We digress. <laughs> um, so because of all her work, um, and I was excited to learn that she was involved in desegregation movements, and mm-hmm. she was successful in desegregating uh, streetcars, interestingly enough. Ah. Um, and to thank her for all of this work, she actually got to meet Abraham Lincoln, um, and so visited him. And he, while she was, during their visit, uh, he showed her the Lincoln Bible. So this was, I had never heard of this before. This is a Bible bought for Lincoln by the the uh, black people of Baltimore, Maryland. Hmm. So I guess they all chipped in and got Lincoln a Bible uh, oh, to thank him. Nice. So he showed her during her visit, and the moment was captured in a painting, mm-hmm. um, and then it was hung in the Chicago World Fair building, uh, and then later moved to a sanatorium. A sanatorium. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, I thought that was an odd choice, and then the sanatorium burned to the ground, well, of and course the painting it did. was lost. Yeah, don't which, all sanatoriums I, eventually? I feel burn like the they really do. Yes, <laughs> but the crazed inmates. No, that's a terrible stereotype. <laughs> But but uh, but so the painting was lost. The painting was lost. Oh god! Yeah, but a local photographer had photographed the painting before, so we still have a record of what it looked like. We just don't have the painting. Uh, Yeah. But their meeting was in 1864, so she got 
you know, sort of a really nice, like, thank you and shout out from Abraham Lincoln. Very cool. Yeah, absolutely. She was um, a very wide ranging woman Mm -hmm. roaming all over, meeting all sorts of people and um, just standing up for what she believed in. Absolutely. And you can see how many lives she touched uh, by the fact that her funeral, um, so she passed away in 1883. It was November 26th, 1883. She died at home in Battle Creek. And her funeral was attended by approximately a thousand people. Wow. Um, And that was like eyewitness um, accounts had it at around a thousand. And I believe you can still visit the Congregational Presbyterian Church in Battle Creek. And that's also where she was buried. Mm. Um, And to link to your earlier um, mention of her and Frederick Frederick Douglass, um, on her tombstone is a quote, is God dead? And (laughs) uh, they said they took that from her her chastisement of him during that meeting. Yeah. Yeah, That's so cool. Yeah. It was great. That is just so Um, cool. Yeah. So they, they estimate that she was age 86, although like many, um, former slaves is very hard to, to predict anyone's, um, a definite birth date. Exactly. Um, but on her, tombstone it says that she was age 105 oh and yeah i thought that was really interesting and i guess she loved being called the world's oldest lecturer and would like, <laughs> play off that <laughs> and, and she would sort of play it up like make it her, her, her <laughs> shtick <laughs> she was the world's oldest um but she, but they don't think that she was actually 105 they they <laughs> estimate she was closer to 86 <laughs> so you know a gap of 20 years but but um and some personal details that i was reading about her i loved that she was almost six feet tall for, really yeah i did not see yeah. that that's they, incredible yes, they said she was very striking um and this kind of helped with her public speaking and, sure. and building the charisma um so I people listen when people, you're that tall people right? pay Heather? attention yeah they <laughs> sure do six foot one uh, i would know something about that you're easy to pick out in a crowd <laughs> yes exactly um and she had a very low resonant voice and they mm. said especially when she was singing um but when public speaking as well they said she had a talent for using her voice to still even hostile crowds wow. so she could really grab a room um, which I thought was really neat mm-hmm. grab the attention of a room um, and we talked about her faith already but she also wasn't intimidated by convention or authority and mm-hmm. we kind of touched on this earlier with um, her lawsuits um, and she managed to get her son back. Uh, but what I also thought was great is that she had a legendary sense of humor. So she would really, That's not kind of, surprising, not somehow. surprising. Yeah, at all. Yeah. Exactly. I feel like to get through all of that, mm-hmm. you would have to have a sense of humor. Um, and one of the best known examples of that is, um, she would always take out people who are kind of self-righteous, <laughs> maybe a little snobby. Um, and she would make fun of some women activists who would ve- wear like frivolous fashions and you know hats with like wings on them and this kind of thing and and so she would say like you're fighting to be taken seriously yet you're wearing these hats that look like they're gonna fly away <laughs> and this sort of thing so <laughs> that's one example oh. they gave of her poking fun yeah doesn't that yeah. just strike at the heart of uh, conversations today about yes. feminism and you know can you be a feminist wearing this or that or right right the other. And, and i thought that i thought what a modern you know, comparison to, yeah, uh, it's a, it's a tricky subject. And Mm. I think obviously this is evidence that it's kind of always been a tricky subject that like, are we supposed to dress a certain way to be taken seriously Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. should we be able to dress however the hell we want? Right. Yes. And still be taken (laughs) seriously. seriously. Yeah, exactly. Right. Hmm. Interesting. Very. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so one of her most famous addresses, and I know you have Mm -hmm. um, some more things to say on this, Dana. Yeah. Do you have some uh, context? Uh, I was just going to say it was 
quote, ain't I a woman mm-hmm. is how the speech is known now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was made at a women's rights convention in Akron, Ohio on May 28th, 1851. And interestingly, oh, I have December 1851. Oh, ooh, controversy. My goodness. Okay, well, 1851 for sure. Definitely 1851. <laughs> and, uh, and when I was doing a bit of research on this, I very disappointingly and sort of predictably discovered that all the other speakers at this women's right conference <laughs> were men. <laughs> she was come the, on. Come on. She was the only woman speaker at this conference. So, yeah. so great, great job. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like really getting the spirit of yeah. the proceedings here, folks. Yeah. yeah. Boy. But I have a feeling she really stole the show. Yes. And was, I'm sure, I mean, obviously she was the speaker that was best remembered Mm -hmm. because her speech had now a famous and well-known title and I have never heard of any of those dudes in their speeches. So I'm (laughs) sure they were just ponderous windbags speaking (laughs) about what they knew not. Is my opinion. Although at least they were on the side of women's rights. That is very true. They were kudos for kudos is due. They were allies, but... That's true. But, you know. But still. (laughs) Still, To be the only... Yes. (laughs) So irritating. Um, So it really... I mean, it's it's a short speech, but it's very powerful. Mm -hmm. And it's a great example of the kind of style that she had, which, as we had already mentioned, was very plain spoken, um, plain language, cutting through the heart, and very, like, um, kind of true to life, mm-hmm. authentic, authentic yes. ideas and like very, um, kind of powerful metaphors and very powerful statements, but in a very direct plain, mm-hmm. um, language, which often is the most powerful and the most arresting. So she really, she really knew what she was doing. Yes. Um, so I think we would encourage you to look up the full text of the speech. It's really very short. Um, now a disclaimer, as Heather already mentioned, there are multiple versions mm. floating around. Unfortunately, uh, we don't have an audio recording oh, <laughs> Yeah, to confirm exactly what the text was. But I think the, the main points are, are fairly much, fairly the same in all of them. And I just wanted to share with all of you, um, just a few of my favorite passages now don't expect me to have the kind of delivery that (laughs) (laughs) Sojourner Truth would have had. But um, I'm just going to give you a few lines from the speech. Um, So referring to some of the men in the room, and I thought this was very powerful too, that like, obviously she's referring to the fact that there are all these men speaking at this convention. And so she's the only female speaker. So she says, that man over there says that women need to be helped into carriages and lifted over ditches and to have the best place everywhere. Nobody ever helps me into carriages or over mud puddles or gives me any best place. And ain't I a woman? (laughs) Look at me. Look at my arm. I have plowed and planted and gathered into barns and no man could head me. And ain't I a woman? I could work as much and eat as much as a man when I could get it and bear the lash as well. And ain't I a woman? I have borne 13 children and seen most all sold off to slavery. And when I cried out with my mother's grief, none but Jesus heard me. And ain't I a woman? Um, and then a little bit later, she she calls out another man in the crowd. And that's kind of one of my favorites. Yeah. She's like literally calling she's men like out. She's yeah. the previous male speakers. Yes. And she's using this. And it's, it's just so <laughs> yeah. great. Um, then that little man in black there. <laughs> He says, women can't have as much rights as men because Christ wasn't a woman. Where did your Christ come from? Where did your Christ come from? From God and a woman. Man had nothing to do with him. 
If the first woman God ever made was strong enough to turn the world upside down all alone, these women together ought to be able to turn it back and get it right side up again. And that is pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) And some of the versions of the speech have the the crowd reaction. It was was like three minutes of cheering. (laughs) It was great. It was like the crowd goes wild. Right. In historical language, of course. And then, of course, and I feel like I've I've just read like at least half of the speech. It's so short. It is. And so so powerful. And then she ends it by like the best line ever. Um, Obliged to you for hearing me. And now, old sojourner ain't got nothing more to say. Mic Mic drop. drop. (laughs) Right? I feel like she would do so well on social media. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so many of these She's one-liners. She's so good on Twitter. Just, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. Like, like viral tweets in the making. Yeah. yeah 100%. Wonderful. We kind of need her today. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I agree. We'll just give a... I wasn't necessarily going to say anything, but I feel like maybe... <laughs> It's you know what I think in some ways it's a good day to be recording this episode. Yes, um, I agree. We are recording this episode on the day after a rather historic and take that in whatever way you want <laughs> a historic uh, American election. And um, you know we have our opinions about <laughs> about what happened. Um, I, I can say we would have been very proud yesterday, ladies, to record this celebrating the first woman president. So we really would. We're have. disappointed. To not be doing that. Yeah. But obviously that's just something to come. Right. And we need more people like Sojourner. Yes. Perhaps in the coming years. Absolutely. So I think as um, difficult in some ways a a day as this has been, Mm -hmm. um, I think at the end of it, it's pretty nice to have done some reading on this incredible woman. Yeah. Focus on someone who we really admire. Yeah. Yeah. So. Take uh, take inspiration from Sojourner Truth, ladies out there, and mm-hmm. don't stop fighting for what you believe in because yep. um, in the end, uh, that will prevail, I firmly believe. <laughs> make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything more to say after that. <laughs> I think that's the perfect ending. <laughs> I think so too. Uh, so thank you for listening once again. Um, as always, you can find us uh, with more um, links and resources uh, for this episode on our beautiful website. We're very proud of our website. So please do go <laughs> check it out. The, the, the posts just, are just gorgeous. You just look at the pictures. Just look at the pictures. <laughs> we choose the most beautiful pictures. <laughs> Designed for your viewing pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah. It's gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. So go check us out on our website, yesterladies.com. That's so easy to remember. Come on. Um, of course, you can also find us on social media, on Twitter, where you can find us at yesterladies is our handle there. On Facebook, uh, you can go to facebook.com slash yesterladies. And if you'd like to get in touch with us through email, you can email us at yesterladies at gmail.com. And as always, we'd love to hear your suggestions for topics. Uh, we'd love to hear feedback, what you think about this or that episode. Um, we also would love to get some ratings if you have positive ones on, uh, on iTunes. That would be so great. Uh, so yes, you can find the podcast on iTunes. You can find it on whatever podcast app you listen to. So once again, thank you for listening. And I have been Dana. And I'm Heather. And see you next time. 